chronic absenteeism is sort of a you know, a red flag that something's wrong, either at school or at home. A new report shows Alaska students missed school at a higher rate than in any other state. From Alaska Public Media, this is Statewide News on Alaska News Nightly for Friday, August 11th. Good evening, I'm Casey Grove. Also tonight, federal authorities investigate a plane crash in Denali National Park. It does not appear from their uh, estimation that this was a survivable accident. Those stories and more tonight on Alaska News Nightly. Today's broadcast of Alaska News Nightly is presented by Alaska Air Cargo, providing Gold Streak Express shipping for urgent deliveries throughout Alaska with connections to more than 100 destinations in the lower 48 and Hawaii. More at alaskacargo.com. And by Princess Lodges, offering glass-domed railcar tours to Talkeetna and Denali National Park for Alaska summer adventures. Your journey begins at princesslodges.com. An Anchorage soldier is facing murder charges in the death of his wife, who was reported missing earlier this week. Police arrested 21-year-old Zarius Hildebrand last night. He's charged with first-degree and second-degree murder, as well as evidence tampering in the death of 21-year-old Soraya Hildebrand, an Alaska Army National Guardsman. Zarius appeared in court today on the charges. Soraya's mother, Meredith Barney, was present and told the judge that Zarius lied to her, putting up a front like he had no idea where her daughter was. He walked around with me for hours searching for my daughter, knowing that she was dead. He lied to me multiple times and tried to play it off like he was a concerned husband. Zarius reported Soraya missing on Monday. He was the last person to see her. Her family members from the lower 48 flew to Alaska to try to find her. According to a charging document filed against Zarius, when police searched the Hildebrand's home, they found a mattress soaked with blood. Police also found two handguns in the home, one of which was missing one bullet out of the magazine. The charges say human remains were found in a nearby storm drain and identified as Soraya. She had a gunshot wound to the head. Speaking outside the courtroom today, Barney mourned the loss of her daughter. Soraya moved to Alaska at the beginning of this year and served in the National Guard as a combat medic. Barney said her daughter was passionate and driven. She was planning on enrolling in college courses this fall to pursue a career in medicine. I was excited for her. She's really thought about, this is my next move, this is how I'm going to progress my life forward, right? Like, I was proud of her. Zarius is in custody at the Anchorage Correctional Complex, held on bail of a half million dollars cash. Alaska students were absent from school at a higher rate than in any other state during the 2021-2022 school year, according to an analysis out today from the Associated Press. The AP says nearly half of Alaska students missed at least 10% of the school year. That is considered chronic absenteeism, and the analysis, in collaboration with a Stanford University education professor, shows it increased across the country as schools reopened for in-person learning following closures prompted by the coronavirus pandemic. Becky Borer with the Associated Press in Alaska reported on the story in-state, along with AP National Education reporter Bianca Vasquez-Tones, and Vasquez-Tones says they found a variety of reasons why students were missing more school. So chronic absenteeism is sort of a, 
you know, a red flag that something's wrong, either at school or at home. Perhaps a child is sick, like, you know, really physically ill, you know, having mental health problems. Perhaps there's insecurity, uh, housing insecurity. Perhaps there is homelessness. Perhaps that family doesn't feel comfortable in the school or the child doesn't connect with the curriculum that's being offered. So we've found in looking at other states that this problem is worse among Latinos and Black and low-income students. And in Alaska, this is worse among Native students. And, And Becky, did you talk to folks here in Alaska? And what did they tell you about this? Well, we talked to a number of people. I spoke with a teacher, for example, in in Huna, and she said one of her experiences is that the school calendar doesn't align well with the subsistence season, that it's important for families to have their kids with them doing uh, subsistence activities. And school is underway before a lot of those activities are even finished. She said before even a deer might be in the fridge they're already starting school. She mentioned that there are children who in some families are being raised by grandparents or great-grandparents who carry historical trauma with them from terrible boarding school experiences within their families. There's also situations where we have a lot of seasonal economies here, and maybe in the wintertime, families are taking their vacations. You know, those sorts of things don't align with the school schedule. But I should also note that This is an issue that state officials have been talking about for a number of years and an issue that's come up in school districts that right now they're grappling with the question, what do we do? Yeah. Some of those things seem like longstanding issues. And like you said, the the state school administrators have been talking about that for a while. But were there things with the pandemic that exacerbated those things or, or I guess added to them that you saw in your reporting? Nationally, in in talking to families and talking to educators, we heard two different trends that seem to have made this worse. One is that during the time of remote learning, relationships with schools, between schools and families and students became frayed, right? People didn't see each other. And perhaps there was tension around (laughs) the way uh, school was being delivered or not delivered, right? And then there was also school educators and and school leaders telling parents that school during that time could happen anywhere at any time, right? We had to be creative and flexible and we could learn online or learn in our backyards or, or wherever. And families got used to that. And there hasn't been sort of an explicit kind of education or re-education campaign to, I guess, sell parents on the importance of school again. And and they're also in some places, you know, haven't been deliberate efforts to rebuild the relationships. When you talk to the school districts, what did they say they're actually trying to do to confront this problem? Well, there are a lot of school districts out there, right? So it really depends on the on the school or the school district. There are a lot of things that some folks have done to, you know, from sending flyers or letters home, reminding people 
that school's important and telling them, you know, their child has missed, say, five days at the beginning of school in the first month. You know, this is a problem. Please get your your child back. I've heard of some districts doing something called empathy interviews where they, you know, approach the family in a gentle way and try to understand better what what the obstacles are to getting to school. Some have have also tried to rebuild relationships in some ways, but there's still a lot of schools that haven't, you know, started the types of parties and sort of community building activities that happened before school closed. And those things are important so that families feel like they're a part of the community, like they know their teachers and they know the principals. And when those things go away, it's much easier to have conflict and for and for sort of small problems to um, to alienate a parent and a student. Okay, so now I'm going to jump in a time machine and I'm going to go back to my teenage self. And I used to skip school, I will admit it. So boop, I'm in my time machine. I, I popped out. My back doesn't hurt anymore. Why is this a problem? I, I understand that, you know, this this is beyond just a single teenager deciding to skip school. There are many other reasons that, that kids don't go to school or there are reasons that they stay home to help their family and different different things like that. But for me, teenage self, why do we care? Well, you know, I don't know much about what you were like as a teenager or the socioeconomic conditions of your family or <laughs> what was going on there. But we know that for a lot of kids, you know, who don't have parents who have can put food on the table or don't have uh, advanced degrees, um, that it's really important to be in school, right? You learn how to read, you learn algebra, you are much more likely to graduate um, from high school, which we know is really important for people's economic futures. And there are a lot of other things that happen in school, right? Besides learning, you socialize, you have friends, and those things are really important, especially for the low-income students among us, which make up a lot of students. Um, I don't know the, the number in Alaska, but you know, in some Boston schools where I live, it's like 60 or 70 percent of students. That was Associated Press National Education reporter Bianca Vasquez-Tonis and her colleague in Alaska, Becky Borer. You can find the AP's full story on chronic absenteeism on our website, alaskapublic.org. Still to come on Alaska News Nightly, school administrators struggle to find staff for a rural school on the Kenai Peninsula. I can't imagine how challenging it is right now to actually fill these roles. That's ahead. Stay with us. Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Alaska needs more quality, licensed child care providers. If you're interested in starting a child care business, connect with ThreadAlaska.org for support and guidance. There are several resources to get licensed and launched in Alaska. A licensed facility opens doors and opportunities for the business owner and creates a safer, more engaged place for children. You can make a lasting difference in the lives of children and their families. This message sponsored by Thread. Alaska Air National Guard rescue personnel flew around the southwest corner of Denali National Park and Preserve Thursday morning after getting an alert about an overdue pilot. 
Park spokesperson Sharon Steitler says they spotted the wreckage of a small airplane, but were unable to land in the steep terrain. The Alaska Guard Rescue Coordination Center found aircraft wreckage in a narrow ravine. And at the time, it wasn't uh, safe to land. Alaska National Guard spokesperson Alan Brown said Thursday that the Rescue Coordination Center planned to fly into the area again this morning, weather permitting. We launched a UH-60 Pavehawk helicopter with some pararescue men aboard to go search. And that search is ongoing. National Transportation Safety Board Alaska Region Chief Clint Johnson says the Guard sent another flight into the area later Thursday for a second look at the wreckage from the air. It does not appear from their uh, estimation that this was a survivable accident. Johnson says the NTSB official in charge of the investigation hoped to be able to get back to the site this morning and take a closer look on the ground. Johnson says the crew aboard the second flight identified the aircraft as a Piper PA-18 Super Cub. But he says the NTSB is withholding the plane's tail number and victim's name until next of kin is notified. He said investigators won't know whether there was a passenger on board until they're on the ground, but he says it appears the flight was hunting-related. This airplane was supporting a, a hunting group, and we don't know if it was on the outbound trip or the inbound trip. Johnson says the investigation is ongoing. Following recent aerial predator control efforts by the Alaska Department of Fish and Game intended to address the decline of the ailing Mulchatna caribou herd north of Dillingham, two separate lawsuits have been launched opposing the program, which is intended to run through 2028. The predator control effort was aimed at increasing calf survival on the herd's western calving ground, according to Fish and Game. During a 17-day period from May 10th to June 4th, department staff killed 94 brown bears, five black bears, and five wolves. The lawsuits, brought by Anchorage attorney Michael Bittner and the Alaska Wildlife Alliance, named the state, the Alaska Board of Game, and state Fish and Game Commissioner Douglas Vincent Lang as defendants. Both lawsuits claim there is no scientific evidence that killing bears can significantly increase the caribou population. The Mulchatna caribou herd saw a 96% decrease from a peak of 200,000 in 1997 to just 12,000 in 2017. Herd numbers have remained low since, and a hunting ban put in place in 2021 has affected communities across western Alaska. A small rural Kenai Peninsula school was facing down the school year with no principal and just one teacher. The district made quick fixes to the vacancies this week, but as KDLL's Riley Board reports, parents worry the problems are part of larger recruitment and funding issues. The school in Moose Pass finally has a principal, just over a week ahead of the start of the school year. The new principal was hired Monday, but staff are still scrambling to find an instructional aide, a non-certified teaching assistant position. Jennifer Boyle is the president of the Moose Pass School's site council and the parent of a fifth grader at the school. I honestly can't imagine a situation where one teacher for 22 students at all different grade levels could successfully teach that many students what they should be learning at their grade level. She says the last principal resigned and the district made a hire, but it didn't pan out. And I think one of my biggest concerns was just um, the communication from KPBSD in regard to this situation arising. I found out about it via social media posts 
from other parents and Seward that there was now no principal signed up for the year. Boyle posted about the vacancies in the Moose Pass Messenger, a local newsletter, over the weekend, calling on residents to write to district leaders about the impact unfilled roles could have on the school. Then, on Monday, the district announced to parents that Doug Heyman, the current principal of the district's homeschool program Connections, would take over as principal. He previously served as Moose Pass principal when he oversaw three small rural schools and Tustamina Elementary in Kasilov. But the principal position isn't the community's only education woe. Moose Pass has previously had one full-time teacher and one instructional aide. Boyle says the aide who worked during the last school year moved away, and that role has been empty since. She says the school has five incoming kindergartners, while some students are entering sixth grade. That leaves a wide range of material to cover, with some kids learning to read for the first time and others learning to write multi-paragraph essays. When you have an aide, you can break it down so that there is two people for that many grade levels to give personal instruction to make sure students aren't falling through the cracks. School staff say it looks like the school may be able to find an aide in time, but nothing is finalized. The district's staffing formula requires one teacher per 18.5 students at a small school like Moose Pass, although that's just for elementary classes. Moose Pass is a K-8 school. The district is expecting an enrollment of 21 students at Moose Pass, and its preliminary budget for the next year includes an almost full-time aide position. Boyle says the last-minute scramble and general recruitment difficulty is part of a larger issue with funding for Alaska schools. I can't imagine how challenging it is right now to actually fill these roles. You know, the budget, which is a bigger conversation than this, doesn't allow for competitive recruitment for roles in our district. The Kenai Peninsula Borough School District lobbied the state legislature for an increase to the per-student state funding throughout the spring, after years of flat funding. The legislature passed a one-time boost that would have brought $11.7 million into the district. But in June, Governor Mike Dunleavy vetoed half of that money, leaving districts to draw on savings and warn of identical challenges next year. Boyle says the instructional aid position is listed for just 19 an hour, a difficult selling point in the small community with a comparatively high cost of living and little affordable housing. Moose Pass isn't the only small school starting the year with staffing uncertainties. In an email to parents Thursday, the Cooper Landing School's principal said the school is starting the year with a teacher vacancy, but that a temporary sub will teach K-3 students until the job is filled. On the Kenai Peninsula, I'm Riley Board. Alaska News Nightly is brought to you in part by... Northern Air Cargo, providing year-round transportation of all types of freight from oversized equipment to small packages for commercial or residential. Northern Air Cargo, serving Alaska since 1956. Whether this is your first try to quit or you've been down this path before, Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line can help you quit for good. Get help creating a plan that is right for you no matter if you smoke cigarettes, vape, use smokeless tobacco, or ICMIC. With options like calling a coach, receiving text messages, and nicotine replacement therapy with patches or gum, you can quit your way at any time of day or night. Call Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line at 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit alaskaquitline.com. This message sponsored by Alaska's Tobacco Quit Line.
Juneau residents whose homes were lost or damaged during the recent flooding can now apply for financial assistance from the state. The deadline to apply is October 9th. The funding helps homeowners cover property damage, cleanup work, and other costs associated with the flooding. It may also pay for temporary housing if homeowners were displaced. Those who need to immediately stabilize their land along the Mendenhall River can do so right away without getting a permit in advance. Deputy City Manager Robert Barr says homeowners still need to notify the city's community development department. Our normal permitting process is you, you go get a permit, you, you talk with a CDD staff member to you know get through all the things that you need to get through, and there might be other agencies that you need to be involved with at the state or federal level. So we're coordinating with all those agencies to uh, allow that permitting process to happen concurrently with um, with the work uh, rather than the permitting process happening before the work begins. The city has condemned eight buildings deemed unsafe to live in. Barr says reopening those buildings will require approval from city property inspectors. As uh, property owners work on stabilizing uh, their foundations uh, and, and, and banks, you know, our, our inspectors go out there and um, do that work. Barr recommends that homeowners keep their receipts and take photos of any repair and cleanup work. The link to the application for state assistance and more information about the process can be found on the city's website and on ktoo.org. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has released a sweeping five-year plan to prioritize and promote the country's commercial fishing industry. KMXD's Kirsten Dobroth reports. NOAA Fisheries announced its National Seafood Strategy on Wednesday. The agency said in a press release that the plan will outline the direction of the country's seafood sector. It's the first time NOAA has released an overall strategy aimed at addressing industry needs. The agency says it will complement other federal policies that are already in place. The new plan outlines broad priorities like investments in sustainability, research, and aquaculture, and calls for making the country's seafood sector more competitive, both within the U.S. and on the global market. It also outlines current challenges to the nation's seafood industry, like labor shortages and lingering market disruptions caused by the pandemic. Climate change is also identified as a main present and future challenge to fishing communities. The National Seafood Strategy is vague on costs and timelines and doesn't provide any regional insights into how the strategy might be implemented in places like Alaska. But it comes as processors are blaming competitive market conditions for lower payouts to fishermen across several of the state's fisheries and a string of cuts to catch limits and all-out closures. NOAA estimates the current dockside value of the country's seafood sector at $6.3 billion. As of 2020, Alaska accounted for more than half of all commercial landings and about a third of the industry's overall value. In Kodiak, I'm Kirsten Dobrath. In Bethel, there's one public place to go if you want to do laundry. Right now, two machines are down, which leaves only three working washers. Maintenance is a constant issue, and people from the villages rely on the sole laundromat too, since many don't have their own. KYUK's Sunny Bean reports from the AC Quick Stop Laundry Room. Some Bethel residents have noticed there's only three working public washing machines in town. The other two are out of order. The employees at AC Quick Stop Laundromat have noticed too. They apologized for any inconvenience and said they're doing everything they can to keep them running. They've talked about needing a bigger laundromat too. Supervisor Juliana Famka explained, 
There's a pattern to keeping the machines going. We had somebody come out and fix it a few months back, uh, do a few fix-ups, and all of the washers were running at one point, but they uh, started acting up again. Maintenance depends on higher management from AC sending maintenance teams from out of town, which is difficult in winter months. But a lot of the issues are reoccurring. Mainly, uh, it says it's uneven flow, which means um, it might just be the water pressure or the washers will go out of order, which is most of the time people are overfilling their washers and we have to tell them they have to take something out. Some customers do admit to squeezing too much into washers since the time is coveted and a single washing and drying cycle costs $12. As for the water pressure, the city of Bethel said they checked after learning about the laundromat's pressure concerns and reported normal results. But assistant manager Todd Sopper says while the repair said it's 50-50 between water pressure and filters, which get dirty quickly, but they change the water filters internally monthly. And he can personally confirm that the water pressure changes regularly at the laundromat. Well, we check our filters are changed every month, and we have also a kinetic water filter system. The problem we have over here at the store with our, wa- our washers is, and I've noticed it because I live upstairs in the apartments too, the water pressure goes low. The washers have to work harder, and then they end up overheating, and we have to shut them down. Now, I'm not saying it's anybody's fault that the water pressure goes up and down, but the water pressure goes up and down often. Still, though two of the five machines are currently out of order, many are drawn to Bethel for the AC quick stop. Oh yeah, all the villages come here to wash their clothes because we're the only laundromat in town. Many villages don't have public laundromats anymore. Some attribute it to improved access to water, so more people have their own machines at home. But others don't have one, and others break down. I've noticed another thing, too. More and more people come in here every couple months since I've been here, and they're washing their clothes more and more because their washers are breaking down for whatever reason. I don't know. Eunice Schaefer took a 40-minute boat ride with her partner and niece from Queefluck and headed straight for AC Quick Stop for the afternoon. Um, tell her done. Tell her finished with our laundry, and then we're going to head back. They came to do laundry to get clothes ready for the first day of school. I have three school-aged children and four small children that are in my care, so seven. This isn't Schaefer's first trip to Bethel for laundry. They don't have public machines in Quipla, and her own dryer broke. But someone pointed her towards the best dryers at the quick stop, and they got going on load after load. They came prepared with snacks and a hot thermos of coffee. We would have brought more laundry, but the last time we came, there, were, there was a really long line and we were here all day. So we took a chance and we got a couple of good sized bags and came. And luckily no one's here. So yeah. we're regretting not bringing a lot of clothes. But I'm thankful for the laundromat here because it helps us to be prepared for school and whatever else we may need. It was raining, so they were worried about bringing all the dry clothes back on the boat. Still, since there wasn't a line, Schaefer considered coming back the next day with more. In Bethel, I'm Sunny Bean. That's all for this edition of Alaska News Nightly. We had reports tonight from Chris Clinton, Dev Hardiker in Anchorage, Tim Ellis in Delta Junction, Evan Erickson and Sonny Bean in Bethel, Riley Board in Kenai, Katie Anastas in Juneau, and Kirsten Dobroth in Kodiak. 
Our audio engineer is Chris Hyde, Tim Rocky is our producer, and I'm Casey Grove. Have a great weekend. Alaska News Nightly was made possible by Alaska Air Cargo, serving the commerce and business needs of 20 Alaska communities, from Adak to Barrow to Ketchikan. More information at alaskacargo.com. And by Princess Lodges, offering glass-domed railcar tours to Talkeetna and Denali National Park for Alaska summer adventures. Your journey begins at princesslodges.com. This is Statewide News on Alaska Public Media.